Airport Wild podcast. Today's episode is about coyote control on an airfield, and to help us explain all this, we actually have three guests along today. Uh, we have Clint Johnson of AEX Airport in Louisiana, Josh Height of Palmetto Wildlife Strategies in South Carolina, as well as Cody Bashuska of Blue Makers Wildlife Management in New York. Uh, with these three, we're going to be sitting down talking tips, techniques, tactics um, to help you better your coyote control on your airfields or maybe just in your own personal lives. Um, hopefully you enjoy the show. Make sure to stick around to the very end. We have some cool deals for trail cameras that might just interest you. There's a saying, if you uh, find yourself in a fair fight, you're doing it wrong. I want that coyote to be able to see the bottom. There we go. Yeah, yeah, I am, uh, you know, for the folks that don't know, I'm Josh Height. I'm with uh, Palmetto Wildlife Strategies. Well, I own it. It's a owner-operator type deal, and we do, um, you know, coyote and beaver, um, a little, some alligator every once in a blue moon as the problem arises. But, um, yeah, it's um, past past history with uh, airport operations, about 10 years in airport operations. So worked in a variety of environments, if you will. Uh, definitely seen, uh, you know, coyote in, in different environments for sure. So, and every place is different as we know. So it's just adapting to that and, you know, capturing on the signs and, and implementing from there. Uh, we should probably point out too that um, Josh, you don't have the camera, so uh, folks are kind of wondering, looking at this, going, "Where is he?" Like thinking their computers are broke or something. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So we're cameraless on that front. Short notice, you know. I didn't have my studio, and my <laughs> phone's a little under the weather now, so we're we're making it happen. Right, making do. Yeah, that's about what most of wildlife is, anyways. Is making do. Absolutely. <laughs> then we've also got. Clint Johnson. I mean, Clint, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I work down at AEX in Alexandria, Louisiana, and uh, I've been working, you know, wildlife on the airport for about ten years now. And uh, coyotes is one of my favorite things. I mean, coyotes and hogs, really, but I really love fooling with coyotes. It's uh, almost like a chess match for me, but. Uh, my preferred method is actually, you know, traps and snares. I'm, I'm more of the mindset of once you take them out, you ain't got to worry about them coming back. That's very true. That's <laughs> very true. So, all right, so let's just jump into a, I guess I need a hypothetical now. So, you know, it doesn't really matter what airport you're on or what state you're in. Uh, Say you guys are doing a perimeter or whatever, um, and you see a coyote, you you find a dig under. Uh, I mean, somebody might report some spore. Like, actually, let's start right off with the spore. Like, you know, you got a report of a coyote. Um, how are you guys going to approach it to 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 go and, and find it? Well, yeah, I would uh, do a little basic investigation and just see if we have an actual, you know. Uh, long-standing problem and it hasn't been noticed yet or is it you know just a guy that decided to take a little uh you know 
a little break in the fence, whether it be a gate gap or whatever, and did he just take advantage of, uh, you know, something that was presented to him and run around real quick and out, you know, or is he coming back and habituating the area? I mean, it could be, you know, real easy and just shoring up some fence line and, you know, they're curious creatures and you'll be fine for a while. But uh, that's how I would kind of uh, attack it. Right, he's kind of a common sense approach. Yeah. So, and you guys are going to find this out about me. I'm pretty scatterbrained, so I'll just, I'll kind of jump around all the place. Um, but you mentioned shoring up the fences. So if you do have a dig under or something like that, is, um, you guys have preferred methods to do that shore up? Well, short term, you know, um, <laughs> Yeah, I've seen uh, one airport in particular. It won't be named, but, uh, you know, their preferred method is they just had a big pile of wrap, and every dig through, they just put a rock in it. And that might be fine for the interim, but, uh, you know, long standing, that's not really what you want to go for. You want to, you know, putting some melons back in there if you can, making it a little difficult for them. Um, or, you know, you could bury, bury some old fencing. Um, you know, kind of a dig through barrier, if you will. Uh, that's kind of, kind of, I would approach the situation. Um, if they keep going back to the same spot and digging, of course, mm-hmm. given where you're at and rules and regulations, uh, depending on what your state, uh, that's definitely a great place. If they're really utilizing one particular dig through or in the general vicinity, hang a, hang a uh, cable restraint in there, you know. Uh, let him get a bracelet. <laughs> is that about for Clint? That's about uh, how you go about it as well. Yeah, and the way that I work is I'm there. I'm there every day. You know, I work full time there. So when I find a crawl under, which I've been there long enough that when I know that there's a coyote on the airfield, I've got him narrowed down to about three holes, and uh, it's. Two of them is just high spots in the fence that just anything you put there washes out. So I just keep a snare there and you just watch for the coat bouncing. But so uh, we're in the process. You just keep the front door open all the time. <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. It looks like it's open, but as soon as he tries to go through, he's caught. Oh, yeah. But uh, we're in the process of getting a new fence built. We've got about it's about eight miles all the way around the airfield. We've got about four miles of fence put down. They've moved to an eight-foot fence. We had a six-foot with three foot of concrete underground. Yeah, so yeah, that, that'll do it. that's the main goal. The end goal is to have that all the way around to eliminate that problem, which you're still going to have a few that's going to, you know, manage to find their way through culverts or climb the fence or but it's going to eliminate a lot. Right. Is that something uh, for Josh? Is that something you would do as well? Is uh, if you do find one, do you ever leave the door open and try to get them later on? Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can throw various, various ways to do it. You know, I mean, if it's, like I said, you know, a transient and you got the animal and nothing's really, you know, going through it for a while. I mean, cause you'll have other, let's say maybe non-target species that might utilize that corridor, but, um, but yeah, that's certainly, that's certainly approach, you know, um, give them, give them an easy in, so to speak. 
let them take advantage of it. I will point out that I have seen, uh, if it was one particular animal and a little wiser than most, you know, I've had them, you know, pull the pull the snare to the side. Um, you know, he's aware of it, and he'll he'll pull it to the side and run under it, you know, crawl under it. Situation like that, I've actually just put some, just as you will, uh, a non-baited foothold, you know, under that, well, right in the vicinity of that uh, dig through. So, you know, right. that, give, blind, give them, blind yeah, a blind set. Thank you. And uh, give him a little something he's not really expecting. You know, he's already expecting the snare, throw, a, throw another variable at there. Right. The so, adaptive sense. Right. I'll answer that. Um, when I set a snare in the fence or anywhere, whether it's in the fence, in the trail, uh, I always camouflage that snare because I'm a, like you said, if they see it and he knows what it is, then he can move it out of the way. But the first time he comes through there, if he never seen it to start with, and say you catch that coyote and something happens and he gets away. Well, he doesn't realize he cannot make that distinction of that snare to what hung him up. So the next time he comes through, as long as he doesn't see it, it just looks like an open hole. So the way I do that on crawl unders is the bottom of my loop, I put it all the way on the ground and I actually cover the bottom of it with dirt and then use grass and vines to cover the loop itself. So you can't see it. That coyote cannot see anything there when he goes through. And that eliminates a lot of problems. Right. It just looks like a gap in the brush. So, Clint, with your with your snares, um, we you say you put dirt on there just so folks understand. And you're not just taking a fistful of dirt, are you? Are you doing like a sifter, like a sifter box kind of thing? Make sure that that yeah. soil is pretty loose. No, I I just put dirt, grass, whatever over the bottom of that loop. It doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm not using... from a snare area, so I'm not. So I mean I'm I'm learning things as well with this. Um with with that too, is there a certain type of snare that you guys prefer? Is there different types of snares? Yeah, Maybe you have different. snares, cable restraints, it's cable restraint is supposed to keep them alive. In Louisiana, there's no definition of a cable restraint. Our laws just say snares and there's no regulations on how that snare has to be built. We can pretty much do Actually, our laws, as long as it's not a trap with teeth, we can use it. Doesn't matter what size it is, you know, stuff like that. So we're very lax on our laws down here. Right. We're on a number four kind of bear for our number four uh, foothold for a raccoon kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> if you want to run, you know, an MB750 or bridge number five for, you know, mink, you can do it. You can do it. Wow, that's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty lenient. Uh, you know, South Carolina, it's basically five and and three fourths inside diameter spread for for land sets. So you know, not. I mean, but you know, a five fifty offset two coil. It uh, it's a great multi species trap anyway. So that's really right. had success with that. But yeah, can't get can't get too crazy, you know. <laughs> so in, that's in one that thing sense. I wanted to point out to folks um the folks at home listening to this is that when it comes especially trapping in general but especially with like the cable restraints is you know you really got to make sure you're following your local ordinances because it really varies by state by state 
Um, here in Arizona, we can't even trap on, on public lands. Uh, they, they outlawed that years and years ago. Um, no footholds at all. It's pretty much all live trapping. Even if you go on private, it's pretty much uh, running uh, have a heart tomahawk style cage traps. Um, so we don't do as much trapping here. You know, we kind of prefer the, the rifle and habitat management style. But um, uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there for a second. So we talked about snaring. So let's say we're going to jump ahead. Say you've seen the coyote. He's inside the fence. Uh, I mean, Clint, what are you going to do if you, as soon as you see him inside the fence? you have certain protocols you have to follow or like to follow? If I can see him, I got a thermal scope rifle. I'm going to try and get him before he gets out of that fence. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, rifle-wise, like, you, what's your preferred setup? Uh, we have a 22 and we have a 6.5 Grendel. 6.5 so, Grendel? Okay. Oh, you're trying to smoke him. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, I played a win. Nah, I got you. I hear you. Oh, yeah, he ain't going to run with that 6.5 Grendel. That's it. You know, there's there's a saying: if you uh, find yourself in a fair fight, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Uh, yeah. so with that six five Grendel, um, uh, do you have a particular uh bullet design that you like like to run? Uh, I like the Hornady SSTs, and we use those on we use them on uh everything from you know coyotes, the hogs, the deer, everything. Right, because the SST that's a little bit more of a penetrating style bullet than a lot of guys are used to running on a on a coyote. You know, a lot of guys like the V Maxes and and the AccuTips and that kind of stuff. Right, right. Uh, and then as far as the twenty two goes, um, you guys have any? Is it just a generic, you know, run of the mill, go to Walmart, pick up twenty two, or? Uh, we're running a, a bolt action twenty two, and then we'll run CCI Maxi Mags hollow points and uh it it does the job on them inside of <laughs> 75 yards you know right inside in the yeah excuse me inside of 55 that was actually gonna be my next question it was your range limits with that 22 um well, that 65 grendel pretty much if you can see them you can hit them kind of thing right now i will say with the thermal scope i run an atn uh thor 4 it has a ballistics calculator in it and if you have the time to actually range him and type in or, you know, set the scope, you can reach out there and touch him with that 22. Uh, I've shot Nutra at 125 yards with it. You just hold dead on him, and that's it. Right, that's wow. another species that a lot of folks are not probably not familiar with is the Nutrias that you guys got down there. Uh, yeah, they're everywhere. We have a golf course <laughs> on our... Uh, place here so another attraction pretty good habitat so so josh i mean what do you uh what do you think of that setup and what, what do you run well i mean that's a great the mini mags are great i have a uh, uh basically on the 22 it's just a standard ruger 1022 uh that's what i kind of prefer and um I use the CCI subsonic, but they're the uh, segmented hollow points. So they'll go in and, you know, break off into three pedals. Uh, and that's just a, a good little all around for, you know, like you say, 50 yards and in. 
um, it's just a, I mean, it's subsonic, so, you know, you're not going to get, it's going to have, you know, a nice little trajectory curve if you really want to reach out. So, you know, I try to keep it 50 yards and, and less, but um, that with a little 22 suppressor on it, and it's really, really quiet. Um, going up bigger, now I'll use a, a 308 on some things, and it's very close, you know, to the 6.5 Grendel, but um, 110, 110 VMAXs on that is uh, pretty, pretty deadly on, um, you know, maybe not on hogs, it's probably on a splash on hogs, but you know, your coyote or, or a beaver if you want to get go nuts, but it's, you know, three, four inches of penetration and then it just disintegrates. Uh, I kind of like it because, you know, uh, from a safety standpoint, you know, it's not really going to carry through and it it lays them down pretty good. Right. Cause that's always one thing that I've always kind of worried about with the 22s on, an, on an airfield, especially, you know, so much, you know, it's, it's all hard packs, all asphalt is uh, if you do get a pass through you know, or you miss, uh, I mean, you got that better chance for ricochet, for ricochet uh, which is something you got to be mindful of. But, you know, with those fragmenting styles that you're talking about, I mean, that's kind of, you know, kind of similar to shooting a VMAX or, you know, all this kind of a uh, splashing bullet. Um, which for folks at home, probably I'll tell them splash just means that, uh, well, when he, when Josh mentioned splash, he's talking about it's going in, but it's not penetrating. It's going in and just breaking up and it's not really reaching the vitals, um, or doing any damage other than, you know, kind of superficial. So it's more of a varmint, uh, don't want to pass through kind of thing versus, uh, you know, it's not like a full metal jacket style, you know, you're going to poke a pencil hole and it's going to keep going kind of bullet right yeah and i mean well, you know, it's gonna dump its energy yes exactly that's a better way of putting it. it's gonna dump all this energy right there um because then on top of that i mean on top of your what i consider like a varmint bullet like a like a v max is you go up to more big game rated but they still do the same thing but like your winchester silver tips and and they they penetrate a little further but not a whole lot mostly because they have a little bit more you know horsepower coming out of the muzzle shooting a bigger bullet, bullet, bigger caliber, a little bit more, well, less speed, but, um, which in some cases the speed actually hurts you and makes them splash even more. Um, so some of I mean, so pretty similar setups. Then you got, you know, both running a rim fire, uh, paired with a decent sized center fire. I mean, that six, five Grendel, I wasn't expecting that when he said that. <laughs> I, th I think any basic, <laughs> any basic toolbox should have, uh, you know, you're doing, depredation work you should have a 22 long rifle i mean yeah. it's just it's it's super handy you know yeah, some people some people you know do prefer the 17 <laughs> i can think of one right now you know but yeah that's still a that's still great it's a little louder than i like but it's really flat shooting it's a really accurate round i just from a noise perspective i just you know it's not my cup of tea Right. Well, yeah, I guess you can count too, because I know who you're thinking of for the 17. And <laughs> not me, the one as well. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That's yeah. that's what I'm rocking out here is a, a 17 HMR um, paired with a 243. Uh, yeah, I have you know, to say, I have to say, my vote's in for the 17. I yeah. knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, yeah that that's a 17 so. vote. <laughs> yeah. So that thing, uh, we're actually experimenting the 17 now with uh, um, jacketed hollow points, not quite their ballistic, um, not, not the, like a VMAX tip or a, 
or a high expansion tip, but a little bit more controlled expansion to see if we can get a little bit more penetration on some of the larger, uh, larger uh, um, problem species. So. Yeah, but um, you know, and I know we're bouncing around topics, but just jumping back to snares, um, yep. I was gonna gonna say, you know. Uh, Clint's, Clint's got a great point, you know, about the camouflaging, but, uh, you know, for, for, you know, different folks out there in your different venues, um, you know, you can have a bunch of variations and environment in your fence line. You can have, you know, one section is short up millens on one side and it's just millens and, you know, galvanized fencing, and then you can have portions in the grass and whatnot. So, yeah, but, um, my basic scenario when I was talking about the coyote pulling it out it was um you know it was just basic millens and galvanized but he's he's spot on I didn't didn't uh, share that but putting a little dirt in the bottom yeah that's that's fantastic that's a Definitely. great right it's a great little trick so going back to Clint um so if somebody you know they're starting from base one with it with, with their snares what do you recommend that they purchase like what you know, should these folks be out there? You know, is there something in particular they need to buy? Uh, I build all of my own, but if you're going to buy, buy from a reputable, reputable company that builds, you know, quality snares, you're looking for Korean cable. I prefer one by 19 cable. And uh, personally, I use 16th inch down here. A lot of places you can't use cable that small. But uh, 332nd or 564th is good size, you know, for coats and stuff like that. And for me, one of the most important parts of a snare is a swivel. I run an eight-aught inline barrel swivel. And what that does is when an animal's caught, he's always going to sit there and spin while he's fighting. So while this animal is, you say this coat is caught and he's spinning, well, the way cable is made, it's all wrapped one direction. So if it's not able to swivel, it's going to open up and it's going to start fraying on you. And that just makes it easier for that coat to chew through. Yeah. So you want to have a good swivel in there. And you want it as close to that coat as you can get it. So when my loop is, you know, set, that swivel is all the way up against my lock. That's how close I want it. So when it's closed, it's as close to that code as I can get it. And then um, talk about, so the coyote is spinning too. Another, another part of that uh, uh, equation is going to be your anchor. Uh, is there only one kind of anchor, kind of like a, uh, not can't think what they call, um, the duck build kind of anchors for them? Or do you have another, like steel stakes? Or like how are you, get, how are you securing these things into the ground? Uh, I generally use an earth anchor. Uh, I use the standard Berkshires or Pogo, which the Pogo is basically just a washer with a uh, J-hook in it. It's super cheap. If you can't pull them out, you can just cut the cable and leave them under the ground. And uh, if I'm running strictly in the fence, I'll just cable those off to the fence to one of the posts itself. Yeah. And uh, if I'm, if I'm going to tie to a post like that, I'm going to put what a, what I call a kill pole. Uh, my snares that I'm running underneath the fence are about 14 foot long. So you have the hole itself. I go as far away from that hole as I can. And that's my anchor point. 
and then I go another about 12 foot and put my kill pole. So what the kill pole does is when the coyote's caught, he's going to run circles. He's going to wrap up over there. Well, now he's 22 foot away from the hole for more coyotes to go through, and they're not seeing a coyote in that hole. He's 22 foot away. So it gets the, gets the coyote away from the actual crawl under itself. Okay, and then, um, so say you, you had that, you ever run like a double setup? So if you do, you catch the first one, you know, n number two comes through, you can catch kind of two, or is it kind of one, you get him done, and you, you wait, and you catch number two later on? Yeah, I haven't figured out a way to get a second snare to fall into place just right yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say I haven't played with it. That's going to be another podcast, because I want to know about that one. Right. <laughs> so, Josh, I mean, is that... Uh, so on your on your snares and your uh, Kimball restraint style traps, are you running something kind of kind of similar, something totally different? You know, um, I don't utilize the swivel, and because um, I mean it's a great idea and it works. It definitely works. I I buy mine, uh, uh, snareshop.com, and um, no, I'm not affiliated with them in any way. It's just where I've always bought them. Um, and they're, they're good and they get you out fast, but I do a 10 foot, three thirty seconds. Um, and I'll use a basic cam lock. Uh, I actually forget what you call it right now, what the actual style is, but, um, either a, um, a cam lock with teeth or just a smooth cam lock. Um, and a, uh, number nine, number nine whammy on them. Cause I do dual roll. Okay. I can use, you know, if I'm in a place, um, happen to be licensed for snares on the ground i can utilize the same snare but primarily i'll use that snare for aquatic sets you know an aquatic snare for beaver trapping so i can do dual roll with that you know 10 foot and i really don't have to really customize you know get three dozen at a time and and they're they're really good and they're fast and it just seems to be a good uh, cable size for me for what i do down here so do you prefer, I mean, in South Carolina, um, do you prefer to use a snare? Or would you rather, you know, back up a couple of feet and try that, that blind set with that, uh, with that foothold trap? Well, they're very, very effective. I would love to use them in a lot more situations if I was, you know, was legally able to. Um, you know, I mean, it's perfectly, you know, legal with 24-hour checks in South Carolina to use them for beaver but you go on land and it gets uh you need special permission but i you know okay. so so yeah if it's a dig through um and you don't have any options other than you know planting a foothold in this state of course that's what i'm going to do first and if that doesn't you know bear any fruit then um we're going to have to talk you know trying to get a permit to 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 do it because i mean cable restraints are just very very efficient it's fast and it's effective right they're fast they're cheap and they're and they just work right yeah you know uh, you catch something clip it and go all right so so sticking with the footholds so we mentioned like an mb550 um i mean i always ran uh i was i was always a uh oneida victor guy um i, I ran them all growing up uh 
but I mean anything that in that kind of that I forget. <laughs> it's been so long since I've, since I played with a foothold. I forget what the what the jaw sizes are. But um, uh, what would you recommend foothold wise? You know, say somebody doesn't have snares, they're gonna they want to get into trapping, they want to get into it on the maybe helping out around the airfield. Um, I mean, would you say right off the bat, you know, go out pick up an MB five fifty or a seven fifty or whatever. Uh, or, you know, stick with another brand or, um, I guess it depends on how much you're going to be utilizing it, you know, um, and, and trap, I mean, it's the old saying, but in trapping, it really, it really shines, you know, you get what you pay for. Yeah. Um, and if you want a trap that you don't have to constantly adjust, um, you know, especially if you're catching a coyote, I mean, they're, they're rough, they're rough, <laughs> tough animals. And if it's a cheap trap, um are smaller you know i've known guys that have caught them on number twos but they tweak them you know yeah so yeah i mean a, a 550 it's you know good cast thick jaws offset just slightly grasps the foot really good i really don't have you know they're going down anyway but you know i'm not really going to tear the foot risk uh getting out Use the night latch system and it's you know stainless steel dog and it's it's just a good trap you know it turns off a lot of people because of the price so you know I just tell those folks you know think about what you're wanting to do with it if you're if you're putting right. a lot of time and money in it if you're making your living off of it you're going to need something uh, substantial right you can run one MV550 for ten years or you can run ten Dukes. Over that right. same time period, right? You know, um, not to knock Duke too much, but they are, you know, just a different price price range. I mean, they work. They're just, hey, you know, you. Hey, Josh, uh, what's the what's the? Can you can you explain a little bit about the night latch? Uh, it is. It is just basically it's a little notch lever, uh, and it gives you a more precise feel when you're setting a trap uh, and it's just a really clean breaking trigger mechanism as opposed to your old your old style with the dogs that i call them they have this little speed bump a little notch and it can be a little gummy a little mushy uh and i just i really don't like the feel um and you can set up a 550 to have just about zero creep until it breaks um, so that animal really can't feel any anything give or anything undulate under his foot that would give him a little split second instinct, to, you know, a little advantage. So, right, because you go to all that problem, all that trouble, you know, to have that nice solid base, um, and just to have your dog mess you up, the dog on the trap, not the coyote. Right, right. You know, you just yeah, I, I want things to break clean and precise, and you, you're right. You put a you know, you can you can work fast, but you're still putting in, you know, a decent chunk of you know time just thinking about it. I mean, right. uh, it's 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 a little bit more than digging a hole and throwing dirt over it. Right. I, mean, I guess the best way I can just I can think of the front analogy is, um, you know, if, if folks are shooters out there, you know, they're they're used to rifles or handguns. Um, shotguns doesn't seem to matter as much, but uh, you know, it's like having that nice crisp, you know. Timney or whatever um, trigger in there, you know, it's going to break perfect every time. That glass rod versus, you know, your, I don't know, some one of the cheap ones, a really cheap model seven hundred or something, where you just pull and pull and pull and pull, and finally <laughs> it's going to break open. Um, it's going to break for you. 
uh, I mean, they're getting better in the cheaper rifles, but that's the best way I can describe it is, you know, old school, just basic triggers is just not going to break as well, um, you know, versus that nice crisp Timney. And that's kind of the difference in my head between, you know, an older, older style model, coil spring trap. Uh, we've been saying footholds, but we're talking coil spring style specifically, um, you know, versus a long spring. Uh, which they've been running those since what, like the 1500 or something like that with the long springs? Dark ages for sure. But yeah. Some, people, some mean, people really prefer them, you know. A lot of old timers really prefer them. That's what they know. That's what they're comfortable with. And, yeah. that, and, and that does come down, you know, to the basics of trapping, what you know and what you're comfortable with and what you can excel at. Right. And if, and, and if that works for you, by all means, do it. Right. I mean, if folks are kind of wondering what I'm talking about by long spring, I mean, watch the movie The Revenant. That's what they're running in that with uh, with uh, Hugh Glass and, and those guys, um, Jim Bridger, back in what was that, like 1820-something. Um, or yeah. what was that movie set in? Uh, so, Clint, I mean, you got any um, – how would you weigh in you know, for these foot springs? Do you run footholes in Louisiana a lot? Are you kind of, you know, 100% oh, yeah. of the time? Now, I run a lot of footholds, too. Uh, my preferred foothold is the K9 Extremes. Uh, like I said, we don't have a jaw spread, you know, restriction here. So I get the full-size six-and-a-half-inch, and it's just – it's a beast of a trap. You can't beat them. They're, uh, they're a tank compared to <laughs> – even the MBs, they're, they're a tank compared to an MB. That's uh, <laughs> – I'm not, I'm not really familiar with those. Like, how much? I mean, if you don't mind me asking, like, how much does one of those go for versus a an MB? The K9 Extremes are actually clo pretty close in price to the 550s. Really? Yep. And they're American-made trap. Ah, oh, I don't see. That's that's how out of the game I am with trapping. I don't even, I don't think I've ever heard of them before. Um. So, Clint, we're talking to you on the on the footholds, because um, with snares, you're mostly running blind sets, correct? You're not baiting right. or setting. If when you're running a foothold, uh, do you still lean that way more towards a blind set, or you kind of go, you have a, a scent you prefer, if at all, or? Oh. I know it's kind of, some yeah. some trappers get kind of leery about talking about that stuff, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, generally, if I'm running a uh, a foothold, I'm running either what I call uh, grabbing dies, which for those that don't know what a grabbing die is, um, are you familiar with the M44 cyanide guns? Yeah. Okay. Basically, it's the same concept, except I'm using like a dowel rod with burlap or something you know, just hot glued on there. And that's what you, you put a food lure on there. Or you can soak, uh, soak these, you know, burlap in whatever baits you use. So you drive this down inside of a grass clump. They're, you know, kind of in tucked in, you know, in front of one. Then you put your trap in front of that. So basically when he comes to grab it, to take it away, you've got him. Instead of a cyanide gun where he grabs and pulls up and it, you know, shoots the chemical in him. And, right. uh, so it sounds like a more refined version of like a scent pulse kind of set is. Well, kind of. 
And uh, but the reason that I like that is because it's you drive it in the ground as to where a scent post he comes up, smells it, and if you don't catch him, he leaves or you know, he mark it or whatever, right? With something there, like you can use a T bone as well, but he's trying to pull it out of the ground, so he's moving his feet, he's getting mad trying to get this out of the ground so he can take it with him, and the, the more times he moves his feet the more chances you have of him stepping in your trap now of course you want to you know use some guide sticks you know you can get him you know fairly quick but it's just that added you know insurance i call it right so for folks that might not be in you know they don't know what we're talking about here with um he's talking about like you mentioned guide sticks so when you're setting up these traps i'm assuming correct me if i'm wrong because i have been out of the game for a little while is when you're setting out these traps is you generally pick something as a backer. Um, like you're using a clump of grass. We've used logs. We've used big rocks. Um, I've used old tires, like old tires out in the woods somewhere. Um, but it's something so that it's to force the coyote to come in on one side. So if you got your trap or your backer there, like that's a rock, uh, you're going to put your trap here. But the backer means he's not going to be able to come in from this side. He's got to come from this away then you use your guide sticks which are literally just sticks set in a v or whatever other shape you need, to, need them to be to get that fun to guide them that final way into your into your pan um so when you're doing this do you have a preferred offset like i know some guys come back was it uh three three inches back two inches right or is it three inches left two inches or three back I don't know. You know what I'm talking about, though. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people say uh, nine inches back and three to the right or three to the left. I'm more of a straight-in-front guy. Straight-in-front. Because a lot of times when this coyote comes up, he's not coming from straight-in. He's coming from a side. So if you're offset, now you've got it straight-in-front anyway. Right. So if he comes in from the side, having it in the center, he's offset. But, you're but the still... way that I put guide sticks – or I don't actually don't use many sticks. I use, uh, you know, dirt clod, stuff like that. I don't give him much room to step other than the pan on that trap. And then I use a wire screen. So with that wire screen on that big trap, I've basically got a five inch pan, a five inch square to step on. You know, I'm, right. I'm playing the scene here. Yeah, you, you use that word insurance and it sounds like it's really good uh, putting in there. <laughs> oh, but you're that's still a main combo what's that i said that's a main combo for sure that's a wicked combo i bet you your rate for your success rate is pretty high with that I mean, do you get a lot of misses or any misses with that kind of setup very rarely very rare um so when you as far as your placement though you're still sticking with that nine to eight nine inch gap between the your, your uh, bait and trap when I'm running something like that, I'm actually going to go a little closer, closer to six. Okay. Um, when he's trying to pull, just like when you're trying to pull something out of the ground, generally you're going to straddle it. You know, you're going to get up close to get more leverage to pull it out. Right. Well, he's using his neck, so he's going to have them front legs pretty tied up to it. Right. Just like watching a dog when he's playing tug of war with you, he's going to grab hold of that rope. He's going to put them two feet out front, and then he's going right. to pull. Right. And that's where knowing anatomy on an animal is really going to help you. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, and then, um, I mean, folks always say, like, how great 
and I mean, I'm right there with him. I'm not trying to bash or anything, but, but you know, you got hunters, and then you got trappers. I mean, every trapper I've known has been they're better. They're better than most biologists I know when it comes to wildlife anatomy and how, you know, knowing how an animal is going to think. Um, because it's if you don't, you're not going to catch it. Um, but uh, I don't know. Just one of those things that always stood out to me was just how much extra knowledge you have to be to to, to trap and and to be successful at it. Um, so I'm just I'm just kind of going see like teeter totter in here. So um, Josh, after hearing all that, I mean you, uh, how would you set up their own your own sets? Well, I mean, yeah, everybody does it differently, and Clint definitely got a, a different method the, than he's I do. Got a style, but, that's for sure. I mean, he, yeah, he's, he's got a style. Um, you know, I like, and I have pretty good success with uh, what I call a mouse hole. You know, and it's it's utilizing you know a grass clump, some sort of projection, uh, a little bit of projection, a little bit of backing, but ultimately I just take my stake driver and I make you know just a little hole in the ground. Um, with a food type lure and um, choke the trap up. So um, I'm just going to isolate and really start digging at that. Uh, so I'm going for the, the more digging approach than, than the, uh, you know, grabbing, so to speak. But uh, yeah, you know, I, it depends. If I'm doing a, a traditional bait hole set, I'm more than likely going to choke up on that uh that bait hole you know probably about two inches off the lip because he's going to come in he's going to someone to dig it out so i'm just going to choke it up um if it's a bone a bone set like he was talking about you know i'm probably going to go you know maybe seven inches back um i probably don't uh i mean i'll change it up i don't really have one set style but um uh, you know I'm probably going to pull it back just a little bit and maybe maybe offset it a touch, but I generally don't normally offset because, like Clint said, they come in from the side. Um, all coyotes come in from the side. Um, curiosity and protection, you know. They want a, a quick out, just like in the wild. They're sticking their face into something or investigating something. They don't really know what's going on yet. And they're, they're wise. It's, it's definitely a challenge. That's there for sure. Um, now, I, I do want to question, you know, everybody now preps their traps differently. You know, um, you got all sorts of dies, speed dies, uh, and such, and and everybody swears by it. I just, um, so I mean, I'm kind of curious how Clint, uh, you know, preps his traps, but while I'm talking uh, about it, me, you know, I just, I do a straight up, just a straight up log of wood dye and a boil. I don't really do, I, I just stay away from any type of gas-based, you know, dyes. I want to be, I want to be natural. I just don't want to chance it. Right. The uh, no BS traps that I run, they actually come with a, a coating on them. It's a tractor, it's a heat treated tractor implement coating. So it'll last three or four years, you know. And then after that, I'll just paint them, spray paint. Or, well, I don't spray paint, I'll actually dip them in paint, but same concept. Um, so using the paint method, are you dipping, are you 
you know, dipping after, you know, once you got into that step, are you doing it every year or is it, you know, once then you done for the rest Just of your life? As needed. If it gets to a point that I think it's needed, I'll clean it up and uh, paint it again, but every few years, maybe. So while we're on the subject of scent control, I got a question, and we'll stick with Clint first. Is uh, what do you do? Like, do you take any precautions for scent control when you're set when you're setting your traps? Doesn't matter if you're talking snares or footholds or whatever. No, because uh, scent is basically your skin cells. You're dropping, you know, close to thirty thousand a minute. It falls through the through your clothes. Like I know some people wear, you know, cloth gloves. Your skin cells, they're small enough to actually fall through those. So you're not really doing anything, you know, anyway. Unless you're wearing a hazmat suit, they can <laughs> smell that you were there. Yeah. Um, some people do it, and that's fine if that makes them feel better. I say do it. But the coyote, he knows you were there, but he also knows you're gone. You know, he he's aware that you're, you've done left. But most coyotes that, you know, we're running into, they're on an airport. They've had a lot of interaction with people already. So they're not really, they're used to day-to-day -day activity. Right. I mean, the sky is full of, of uh, fuel emissions anyways from on them, you know, them planes going off, taking off all day long. So, I mean, so you're, I mean, make sure I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this right, is uh, you don't wear gloves at all, like even if you're handling your scents? Like, not, not. I wear gloves for my hand protection, but not for scent control, if that makes sense. No, I get it. So, I mean, because, I mean, that those scents, I mean, they, you walk into a room, everybody knows you're there uh, kind of thing. And um, so that's all you're wearing it for is just to make sure, you know, so that stays there and then, you know, toss your gloves. But you're not wearing it to protect, you know, against your own scent. So, I mean, what about, um, it's not so much a scent thing, but uh, do you ever <laughs> – one thing while well, I got you is I've seen some folks that will change the way they sit, you know, when they're setting the trap, you know, they make sure their knees don't touch the ground at all. Like, you know, uh, they're doing kind of a squat when they're setting their traps to make sure they stay as little contact as possible. I'm assuming if you're not wearing gloves or anything, you're not too worried about that. Well, I, I don't mind kneeling on the ground, but I wear knee pads just to protect my knees. But yeah. for me, speed is key. The faster you're there, you know, the faster you make that set, the less scent you actually leave. So get in, get out. That's my theory, and so, many of them died because of that. <laughs> so I want you to hold that thought. I want to hear Josh's take on the scent, but I want to come back to that speed is key thing in here in a second. Well, I guess that goes back uh... – Clint has some valid points, but I guess, uh, you know, my take on it is uh, it's all going to go back to your actual environment that you're trapping in. Yeah, airports, um, uh, they're subjected to a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different things, different smells. I mean, you got to think about it. You got guys riding the perimeter roads or whatnot, and they're smelling jet fuel and, you know, guys, you know going out on the perimeter roads, taking leaks or spitting dip. I mean, they're, they're, they've got a whole gamut of scents, you know, when you think about it, that they're used to. Now, if I'm, you know, deep woods, you're doing a plantation or, you know, 
killing yotes for deer populations and whatnot. They're they're not really accustomed to all that. Um, it's pretty quiet for them. Um, I wear nitrile gloves when I'm doing that. Now, um, speed is key, um, especially as it's warming up. You just don't want to linger on a set too long, uh, and you definitely don't want to sweat on it. You know, here if if I mess up and I drop a couple drops of sweat somewhere, um, they're digging at it. While they're digging at that drops, those drops of sweat, they're probably going to find a trap, um, or they're going they're going to feel they're going to feel something. Uh, they might side dig it. So basically, I don't want to sweat in it because I'm I'm taking away, I'm taking away from the focus of my bait and lure. Some guys, you know, urine missed it um, to help mask the scent. You know, supposedly I don't do that. I do a very concentrated, you know two squirts max on the back so i have a really you know kind of focused uh, that's my take on it you know i want to keep that animal there and focused and engaged the longer i can keep that animal on the set the more likelihood that he's going to step you know my trap but i mean scent control yeah it's nitro gloves for me i wear boots um i'll normally squat but uh down on it but i have boots that uh stay in the truck they don't get worn anywhere than me going from point a to b while i'm in the woods and then when i come out those boots go back and i'll put on my regular footwear um they just they see dirt that's what those boots see i don't, I don't want to you know be going into a bathroom or any type right. of floor that's been those... mopped and have chemicals and whatnot on it right you don't want to have those alien smells on there so um so with that, I mean, you're, it looks like you're squatting, so you're not, you know, you don't bother with the knee pads or, um, I mean, I've always used a, a gardening knee pad, always, always had one with my, my trapping kit. Uh, well, I, might, I might when I get older, <laughs> but as, <laughs> as of yet, you know, just going on there and, and squatting and driving the trap in, you know, if it's a bait hole now, I do have a, a two and a, I think it's a two inch, a two inch, uh. Uh, auger that they use primarily in nurseries or for planting little bushes and trees so i'll have a little auger on a drill um and i'll bore out my hole real fast like and um and that speeds up the process too so i'm not there with a little shovel and digging and digging and digging right so actually it's a perfect little segue um josh we'll stick with you for the moment but uh what do you carry or what do you use and like how is your Put this way, what is your setup to make sure that you're in and out quickly, quickly and effectively? I have two little buckets. Now I'll take my big trap out with gloved hands like I do, and I have two little buckets, um, and one has my hammer and driver. Um, and that will let me back up. Now I will find the location if I'm uh, beforehand before I grab those tools, and I'll find me a spot, you know, on a main travel corridor or a perimeter's edge or where I'm seeing tracks converge, I'm seeing scat, you know, that's what I'm looking for to see, you know, if the location's ideal. But uh, I'm going to go in there real fast and either make my mouse hole or, uh, you know, take my drill and make my bait hole. Then I'm going to come back and grab my two little buckets. It's going to have the trap in it. One, One's my clean bucket. You know, when I'll keep the trap in my little sifter, 
and then I'll have uh, the bucket that has my bait and lure in it. So I'll install the trap first, bed it down, blend it, you know, because, you know, it, it's got to look natural. It's got to be blended correctly. And then uh, so I don't change gloves. After all that's said and done, then I'll handle my bait. And then I'll uh, take it back and uh, discard those gloves. But, yeah, so I only use, you know, one set of gloves. Right, just, you know, you're talking to some cheap, you know, just cheap nitrils. You said you, said you uh, Right, you... yeah, just little cheap nitro gloves, and, and that just saves me, you know, time and multiple trips back to, you know, whatever I'm running off of. So, and maybe you said this and I missed it, but uh, what about your sifter material? Are you using natural, or are you bringing stuff in, or you'll um, – because in South Carolina, you don't have to worry about frozen ground like we used to have to do in New York, but uh, I'm going to – bring anything in with you for for sifter dirt normally i do not now it's a central south carolina area i mean if you get up you know going up north piedmont it starts getting clay but around you know middle of the state it's pretty much sand land and it makes okay. it makes for you know easy trapping if you will for you know bedding purposes and blending um so yeah i don't i don't generally bring in material uh, a lot of guys like to use peat moss and swear by it but you know i i don't utilize that method you know if i'm trapping somewhere that you know you're not really going to be able to have a clay top so you know peat moss is going to be advantageous for that and i don't have you know what is the soil like where, where clint's at what do you use so where I'm at, you can move 10 foot and hit a different type of soil every time you move. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, I run a lot of peat moss. If I can find a sandy spot, that's great, but I'm not packing it anywhere. I'll pack peat moss, but that's it. Um, but I'll tell y'all, we're totally opposite on everything. Right, on to completely. Like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do a lot of control work for, uh, you know, uh, hunting clubs and stuff like that and i'm still the same way as far as i wear the same boots i wear to work every day i just run and gun get in get out and you know and you talk about the auger on a drill i i utilize an auger as well on a drill i've got a uh, a good hammer drill but i use a four inch auger it's, wow. a, big uh, hole. it's, it's a big hole i like a big hole I want that coyote to be able to see the bottom. I want him to see that bait in the bottom and in his mind know, hey, it won't take much work to be able to get to that. <laughs> that works. Right, don't know Josh is taking mouse holes and you're putting a woodchuck in it. See, we don't have woodchucks here. I make an armadillo <laughs> hole. Armadillo <laughs> hole, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So, but another thing that that four inch auger allows me to do is dig my trap bed with it. I've got a trap bed in three seconds. Take it straight in, drill down about three inches, wall around, come out, I got a trap bed. And when it and that bigger trap, it fits tight in that hole. So I'm I dig it up. That's a great, that's a great idea. Yeah, it is. My hole is three foot long. So I can dig a deep hole and a trap bed really quick. So I heard you skipped out a little bit. What was what's three feet long? The auger itself. The auger, okay. So you have to have a pretty substantial drill. 
It's a yeah, hammer. It's just a good hammer drill. Okay. And uh, yeah. Oh, I love it. So, and I'm assuming you're since you're running on the on your cable restraints, you're still running like a Berkshire style, uh, duckbill style anchor. On all my uh, foothold traps, I run the the original bullet stake. Uh, I've tried okay. the fin stakes with the retriever cable, and it doesn't matter whether it has that retriever cable or not. It's still just as hard to get out of the ground. <laughs> so I switched over to the chain regular super stakes and don't drive them as deep. Although I still have to cut chain every now and then. <laughs> so, yeah. so for folks, I mean, how long are these stakes that that you're rocking? 12 inches about 12 okay um but with it being chain if you can't get it any deeper you don't have cable sticking up it's just chain uh, right. if the ground right. is a little softer you can drive it deeper right with the chain you can wrap it around your bottom too you don't you don't worry about it kind of bubbling up or anything like that uh, with uh with the cables so which is a great thing if you're thinking about that kind of stuff so i didn't ask you josh but do you are you running what kind of anchors do you prefer? You said it's pretty sandy where you are. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I guess we're running something some, somewhat similar. I use basically, um, it's called a low country rig, and it's a, you know, a fin, a little a bullet style. You put in it, you know, basically it's a coupling, and it fits right in on your driving stake. And it's a, you know, I believe it's about a 12 inch, and then it's a dampening spring, double swivel, and it attaches to my trap. So, you know, I just drive that straight into the dirt, and then when it comes time to remove it, you know, I'll take that trap, hold it up straight so the chain is straight, and I'll run my auger right down the side of it. And then once I have the hole where my build's at, I'll just pull it to the side. And 90% of the time, you know, that works peachy. But there might be a little clay clump or something kind of deep down where I drove it in I wasn't aware of, and my... You know, you have to do a little bit more excavation, but normally it's it's pretty fast. I don't have to use any big, you know, bar pullers or winches or anything like that. Just run a quick auger down the side of it and yank it. Yeah, I always hated that in New York. Uh, you're on the end of the year and just pulling out stakes for the grizzly bar. Oh, so that's back breaking. Well, it's not so much pulling the trap as just carrying the stupid bar around for half the day. <laughs> But, um, so one thing I thought was pretty funny is listening to you talk about that. So you're running double swivels on your footholds, but you don't want to swivel on your, on your restraints? No, I don't. <laughs> and that goes back to, you know, I mean, beaver, it just depends on where you're trapping beaver and whatnot. But, uh, you know, if it's a live tree, you know, in the swamp where they, where it's not been submerged long and it hasn't died, you know, it's, uh that tree's probably going to be gone when you come back the next day and, and pull it as far as they can pull it without getting hung up. And mm -hmm. I, uh, I haven't had an animal yet break it in either sense. Does it get frayed up? Has it come close? Absolutely. Cause I mean, all those cables are, you know, but three thirty second cable, I just, yeah, it's gotten frayed, but I haven't really had one give up the ghost yet. So I'm just gonna, you know, I'll stick with it until I need to adapt in some other fashion. But, you know, as we have established thus far, everybody does things different and different things can work. You know, it's 
whatever they're used to. Right, because I've gotten the biggest kick out of that is just hearing, you know, it's well, up until that last part with the stakes, I mean, you guys were running opposite, you know, 180 for the last 55 minutes or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's fun, it's fun but, actually. But, Still, uh, still nets results, still nets results, but you know, it's, <laughs> we're all we're all human, so right. there's going to be, and it's just, and it goes back to coyote. I mean, they're all similar; they all have very similar behavior, but occasionally you will have some that have their own personality, and they're a little bit more difficult to work with. Right. Know? I mean, just because the environment is different doesn't mean the coyote itself is different. Right. Um. So. Uh, trying to think if we've missed anything. Um, as far as maybe extra gear, do you guys, I mean, you've got your, you both got augers on, on power drills. Um, and we've talked about, uh, preseason prep. Uh, I, I guess we're at the part where we talk about what happens afterwards. I mean, you guys have certain protocols that you guys go with that maybe you can like a smaller airport probably not going to know what to do with a coyote, you know, once they actually have one. So let's start there. Actually, before we get to the very end, let's start there. You've got. You know, the trap has succeeded. You, you come up, there's a dog in the trap. What do you do now? And let's start with, let's start with Clint on this one. Uh, just dispatch him, and then we're going to uh, put him in a pit. Okay, you're just doing a kill pit kind of thing over there? Yeah. So, do you... I, 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 we're probably going to differ on this, too. <laughs> do you dispatch him in the foothold? In this on the spot. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was going to be a difference right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I take a catch pole and I remove them. I walk them out because, you know, I don't want to spray blood on that set. I just, I really, yeah, I don't, I don't like to do it because if I get the trap bloody, um, or you know, it's not so much so glamorous but you know sometimes it depends on where you shoot them um and even even if you do the head sometimes they flop a little bit to get some blood on your trap i don't yeah i just you know don't do it that way i've had them dig if i get too much blood on that trap they're going to dig it you know if i try to reset it so i will put it on the catch pole walk it out and drop it you know Maybe is, is I actually differ on you guys on this is for coyotes I'll drop them on the spot, but for foxes I'll walk them away. Because I always thought foxes had be, uh, better better nose than a coyote did for you know, more particular. But um, so once so Josh, when you, uh, once you've done your dispatch, are you doing the same thing as as Clint? You know, doing a hole or you double bag and throw them in the dumpster? I mean, what do you? What's your protocol? Nah, they um, no, normally they have uh, you know, predefined uh, disposal sites, i.e., hole in the dirt. It's somewhere, some fashion, or you know, deer club. They always have gut pits. So yeah. Uh, yeah. No, very yeah, good. I, we need to talk about something that we do the same things. Uh, I will add. <laughs> Uh, you can take a dead coat and put him out, you know, somewhere instead of in the hole and put you two or three sets close by to catch more coats. They will visit the dead. I have not done that with a coyote. I've done that with a beaver carcass to catch coyote, but I have not done that with an actual 
coyote. So that's very interesting. Yeah, I've never done that trick. Um, as far as beaver and nutrient stuff like that, I will make a bait pile and hang snares around that for coyotes. Hmm. You ever, uh, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming these are ones you've trapped. You ever just like picked up a piece of roadkill, you know, toss a deer leg on the side and try it with that or? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've read a lot of USDA studies. Uh, I don't know if y'all notice or know just how much money the U.S. government has spent studying the coyote. A lot. Uh, back in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. that was a big deal, trying to eradicate the coyote. And, uh, you know, that was one of the things is having dead animals around, you know, a set like that, it puts them in a different state of mind. It kind of changed their mindset of what their takes that, you know, caution out of them, brings kind of brings down their guard, so to speak. And they start milling around that area. And uh, that's where a urine post really shines. You know, they kind of get excited. You know, here's some, something's happened here. Let's find something to pee on, you know. Right. You know, so they get attracted to something. I was going to say, uh, I use a lot of urine. Uh, I'll go through you know, 10 gallons a year in a year. I collect my own from a single male coat. And uh, that was another thing that I had found in one of them studies was the on- they tested, you know, all these different things. And the only, the only thing that they found that could stop a coat in his tracks almost every time was coat urine. Sorry, I'm still hung up at the part. You're getting 10 gallons out of one coyote? Like, how's this setup working? I have some, I have two or three collection cages. And uh, so each cage has its own collection system. It take you can get a gallon about every three weeks out of a coat. Wow. Yeah, I was not expecting that on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Now, there again, I go and I'll, um, doing a lot of business with uh, the Minnesota Trap Line, um, and they've always had, from my experience, good, clean, crisp urine, you know, just about, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, that's one thing I want, it needs to be, it needs to be fresh, it needs to be, you know, clean. I don't really, uh, I, I personally stay away from what they advertise is the spike stuff with gland lures and stuff like that added. I just want fresh, clean coyote urine or red fox urine. Yeah. Uh, and it does, like Clinton said, it, it works great. So I've heard you guys both mention using urine as well as food lures, unless I missed it. Um, do you guys ever go for the gland style lures in any kind of setup? I mean, I I will occasionally, you know, um, I'll go for the trifecta and put a little bit of all three on there. But, uh, I mean, you can just use, you know, if you're wanting to do a basic flat set and, uh, you know, put a little lure, I mean, a little gland lure on there. Um, I might use gray fox gland lure or red fox. Um, But uh, I will will switch it up and 
you know, provide variety. Um, that's kind of how I do things. Or if you're doing a bait hole set, I'll sometimes put a little touch of urine right at that front edge of the lip in concert with the food lure. Um, and normally they're gonna they're gonna attack that little dot that basically almost like a pea size a little dial up nothing nothing big um, uh, less is more I found in trapping uh, you don't want to go overboard and just start spraying urine everywhere and dumping a bunch of bait in there I mean you don't you don't want to do that all right so how about you Clint do you ever go for the gland style stuff oh. Uh. Yeah, I'll use a little gland lure, but I'm gonna—I'll say that we definitely differ on urine, because I've got urine everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But for me, from what I've seen, it—it's a suspicion remover. You know, when it they, is. It's a big confidence, confidence. Yeah. But another coyote has been there, and it just—it changes it for them. And uh, I use a lot. I'll even run a line. Like if I'm sitting on the side of a road, I'll, you know, I mean, I'm kneeling down, you know, just turn around and squirt behind me a line to the set. And I've had them on camera. They'll follow that line right to that set and be bouncing there in the morning. And that's enough. I'll, I'll add that uh, cameras. If you ever get a chance to run cameras on stuff, that makes for great learning. That was actually going to be my next question. As soon as you said the word camera was going to be, have you guys ever run trail cameras to look at a set, um, to, to look at their effectiveness? Uh, Clint, we'll stick with you since you just brought it up. All the time. All the time? Yeah. How about you, Josh? <sighs> you know, uh, basically if I'm <laughs> curious. Basically if I'm curious, I'll run a camera. But, if you know, if I, if I know they're there, you know. I don't necessarily have to see them until they're bouncing, bouncing in my set. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, but it's a good tool to have. I mean, if, if you have that, you want to utilize it. Hey, I mean, knowledge is power. But, you right, know, right. I mean, run what you brung, but uh, I don't think I've ever thought about putting a, a camera trap. Well, before I got into this line of work, when I was private trapping, I never thought about doing it. Now, uh, um, Clint. Clint, I'm just going back. Dig throughs have a snare. I'm assuming you will, from time to time, make a, a urine line through that loop. No, I don't put anything <laughs> there. Uh, okay. Now, I know we we talked about you know generally with snare, there's blind sets, but I'll make the comment there are other sets that you can make with a snare, but uh, that's for another podcast. Yes, yes. That's, get, that's getting deep in it. Yeah. yeah. No, but I think we, I mean, as long as you guys are still willing to do I think we're going to definitely do that podcast, though, you know, get maybe more advanced trapping techniques or something we'll call it. Yeah. But um, as long as you're going back to the trapping, though, uh, I mean, do you guys run any other style of traps? Do you guys ever mess around with, with live traps or the uh, – uh, I'm not sure if they're legal in your states, but the uh, I can't think of the color now. Kind of bears body gripping style. Uh, uh, so I've played with a few different things, and 
In the right places, a 330 Belial will work on coats pretty well. But most places, it's just not a good idea. You know, mm. it's, I don't recommend it to anybody. Yes, it'll work. You can actually hang them just like snares with the right setup. But it's really not worth it when you can just hang a regular snare. Right. You, know, you, don't, uh, you, you definitely don't want to catch somebody's dog and be on the news. No, definitely not. But that's another thing is if you do catch a family dog. But with when you are, I'm curious when you're running that 330 and you when when you've been successful, are you keeping the dog straight split? You run it twisted off to the side. Like how is your trigger set up? Off to the side. Um. And my the support for it. It's kind of hard to describe, but basically. The support is off to the side is where, you know, kind of like your support for a snare would be. It's not, you know, directly in the trail. It's basically hung just like a snare. Okay. Just... Yeah, that'd be a different difference. I never thought about putting a, taking a 330 off the ground. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll go into the way that I got there was trapping coons and bobcat with 220 uh in trail sets basically same setup it was just smaller and i was just like you know i I just kind of like to see what would happen trying this for coats and uh being in the area that i was in i was able to do it and not have to worry about any of the other you know problems that you might run into but uh yeah, it, it works. It, now, you mentioned cages. I've never messed around with really trying to cage one other than pups at a den site. Okay, how about how about you, Josh? You ever messed around with any of them, we'll call them alternative-style traps? I, I do not mess around with kind of bears on land. It's just bad juju for me. Or just, <laughs> uh, just, just around here. I'm just, I'm just not going to... I'm not going to dive into that. Bad things can happen. And, uh, yeah, I don't want, uh, you know, the HOA or somebody, you know, causing the stink. So, uh, yeah, I, I just stay away from that. Um, cages, yeah. fo- catching fox in a cage, sure, sure. Um, but uh, that really. Yeah, things can go south pretty quickly with a body grip on land. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and. Which you know, is probably thanks. good for the, for the viewers at home to know too is that you know that's that's a general consensus if, if even if you have the option and it is legal steer clear it's just not worth the hassle. Yeah, yeah, that would yeah, be. I'll, I'll throw that out there. You know, it's perfectly legal here, and yeah, I've tried it, but it's not something that I do anymore. It was a trial just to try. You can hang a snare so much faster and easier, and it's going to work better. So one, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I'm just, I was just basically going to say, you know, I mean, I think we pretty much established thus far that, uh, you know, you can, you can tackle it from a lot of different angles, uh, you know, and, and still be successful at it, you know, um, right. Yeah. Basically if, if, if you're doing a solid bed, I know, you know, 
I mean, I know Clint has to do this. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't have a trap rocking in the dirt. So, you know, as long as you bed solid and have a good trap and a good, good, you know, steps that you follow, you know, and dedicated to, you're going to be successful. And it's just trial and error. Find out what works for you. So would you guys agree then that if I was to sum it up, you know, we're talking about this, um, it's not so much what you're doing. It's just figuring out what you like and do it the same every time. You know, you think consistency is the name of the game here? Is it kind of, you know, always stay kind of, you know, or is it better to play around, see if there is a better way down the line? And which, how do you guys lean on that? I'd say be consistent, but be adaptable, you know, and, and consistent meaning, you know, how you place that trap. You know, you, you definitely need to be consistent with that. But, you know, there's going to be times that you need to change it up. So, I mean, keep that in mind, too. There's There are 50 different ways to bake a cake. So. Right, but only 49 of them actually taste good. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, yeah. Clint? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, I got to where I am by trying different things. You know, and then now that basically I've got a rhythm. You know, I can get out there and, for me, that rhythm or that consistency is how you get the speed of setting the traps. When you when you kneel down, you know where everything's at and where it's going to go before you even start. You yeah. know, it's just that mindset of, got to, you know, this is how it's going to be. And uh, for me, when I drive up to a location, I've got an idea. I pick, you know, two or three spots where the traps are going to be. And uh, I'll just grab, if I'm putting three traps, I'll grab three traps, throw them in that general direction, and just go to one, set it, next, just, you know, wipe them all out. Right, and you're tough, and so you're definitely playing that speed game, doing something like that. So I think that's a good point, too, is that, you know, it's going to be something that, that people are going to pick up, you know, as they get, you know, they continue in coyote trapping and, well, trapping in general, but being able to just show up to a spot and you already know what's going to happen. You know, all your steps, you're not sitting there, you know, finagling. Going, oh, where's my sifter? Oh, where's my, where's my pan, um, my pan cover? Where's my, this, where's my, that kind of thing. It's kind of that you're hitting it the same, but it's not so much always bringing the stuff, but also you know exactly where that trap's going to go. You know, where your mouse hole is going to go or your, or your, um, what'd you call it? The one that uh, they're biting at, um, grabbing die. The grab and die. Yeah, you know where it's all going to set before, you know, before you even put your bucket on the ground. Like, you already know how it's going to look. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just looking at the time frame now. We've blown right past that hour mark. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's been fun. It's been yeah. fun. I think we've all learned a little something, a little different, have a little, you know, idea of things to try. Oh, for sure. I mean, you guys have been a wealth of knowledge. I mean, thank you guys for coming on here and and, uh, and discussing this. Um, my, my last thing, though, is uh, so we covered pretty much everything I think of, I can think of for trapping. But is there any extra things you guys think we need to cover or need to mention or um, a little tool or something you guys like to bring or uh, like what would you guys want to do for your closing comments, we'll call it? Closing comments. Well, you know. Mm. 
hey, you put me on the spot here. No, just, you know, <laughs> basically what we were saying, you know, just be adaptable and, uh, you know, don't overthink things. I mean, yeah, you want to, you want a mindset of what you're going to do before you go in. But, uh, a lot of people that are perfectionists and whatnot, they want to sit there and obsess. So, you know, just don't, don't sit there and obsess and overthink when you're trying to come up with the perfect set, you know, look at it straightforward and, you know, make some reasonable, educated guesstimations of what you think is going to work and how and commit to that and go with it. Uh, and just don't overthink it. If that doesn't work, try something else, you know? Right. So think, think a lot about it, but don't overthink it. You guys, yeah. pretty, sounds like a pretty, uh, pretty tight wire there. It can <laughs> be, but you know, I've, I've, you know, trained some folks and, uh, you know, they want to sit there for 30 minutes and blend and place leaves here and, you know, do a good, decent blend doesn't have to be perfect you know when's it going to come the rain and whatnot just make it look natural and make sure you put your best effort forth and it'll pan out for you right because this isn't really a this isn't really a game for the folks that just want to slam bang things together it's kind of you got to do a good job if you want to be successful well yeah. for the most part anyways definitely need to think it through that's like most things in life but i guess that's a different podcast yeah, we're touching on a lot of extra podcasts today. <laughs> <laughs> so how about you, Clint? You got anything that, you uh, know, anything, any final thoughts? Yeah, I would say, you know, somebody, you know, getting into it, learn the animal, learn their habits, their instincts, and use that against them. <laughs> there you go. Well so, said. So, well, we're going to take a little bit further than the, than the final thoughts, I guess, because that brings up a good point. Um, what about resources? Like, how would you guys recommend somebody getting into it? Like, what resources were you to learn how to trap, to learn the animal's behavior? Um, like, where do you start? Uh, if you can find the USDA studies, that's a great place to start. They have done so many different, you know, trials with these coyotes. Um, it can be a little tricky to find them, they, but they're out there. You just got to, you know, Google and Google. They may be on page 60, you know, but they're out there. Yeah, I mean, a good, good, fast resource I can think of right off the top of my head is, you know, your state's DNR website. You know, they're going to have, you know, basic publications and studies and, and information of what they observed for that particular, you know, state. And I mean, they're going to have publications you know right out by their their state biologists and that's a good reference point to start at but yeah you can you can go further uh you can also i know uh like here in louisiana uh, we do trappers education it's not there we don't have a mandatory trappers education but uh you know i'm part of the association and one of the instructors and we put on workshops throughout the year and they're free to the general public. You come and you want to learn. You know, we put on these workshops. So, you know, look into state associations. Definitely. You know, see what they've got going on. For sure. Yeah, those, because they're always, because um, I'm not sure how it is with, with your association. But I know it seems like every organ, um, like conservation organization, or we'll call them NGOs and non-government organizations, everybody, they seem to be, you know, they're all, they're, they're involved with, <laughs> let me rephrase that. They're very open to the public, um, 
and you know it's, it's a, you know showing up and uh they're just it's that's the folks that are doing exactly where you are um so i mean they're gonna be your best they're gonna be a great resource um uh, i agree yeah i mean there's i'm just thinking about some of the organizations back back uh back east and some here in arizona and uh that's always your best bet is to look into your state especially like you mentioned the state dnr um they're gonna have species profiles i mean coyotes they're not really it's not like you know learning how to chase a duck i mean you just go to a marsh with a pair of binoculars and watch ducks all day long um can't do that with coyotes not easily anyways um but uh no, I think this has been a a great little podcast. Um, again, I thank you guys for for coming on and you know sharing your insights with us. And uh, I would definitely like to do another one of these again down the down the road a little ways. I mean, maybe do one on a little bit more advanced trapping or even talk about different species. Um, you know, we'll, we can figure that out down the road. But uh, I think this has been a home run for sure. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. It was definitely enlightening in a bunch of different ways. You know, definitely learned some new stuff. So, uh, and that's basically, you know, what these things are for. So, I think we uh, hit the nail on the head on that one. For sure. Yeah, I appreciate it. This is uh, this fun. <laughs> yeah, we just enjoyed talking to you guys. Um, yeah. So I think that's about hey, all I got. I, I, Hey, uh, I got something for you guys. Do you guys I have any? Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have any uh, um, bloopers? Um, any uh, funny, funny scenarios you got into during trapping? Oh, that's good. I, well, I had this New Yorker try and talk me into turkey hunting once. <laughs> oh man, man, I've heard about that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's really fond of seventeens for some reason. Yeah. Hunting big yard chickens. <laughs> so anything else <laughs> what kind of story are you wanting to hear cody i just want to hear something interesting you ever you ever do something that that you, you say well that was a little bit embarrassing uh I'll, I'll tell you what i'll tell you a story i was uh trapping my buddy he does just like me he does nuisance work as well and he was doing a job up in Monterey. This is a little north of me here in Louisiana. Make sure you say clear off. Just say clear and, off. Uh, just say clear off. Of all movement areas. He's going. <laughs> so he's setting this coat up. Uh, I go out there helping. Get, we get trapped set. The next morning, we go out there and... Uh, I got a coyote in the snare right across from the little camp we're staying at. You can see him bouncing through the window. Go take care of him. The truck's going to get on the bike. There's another coyote in his trap about 200 yards down. And he traps down here. We have a live market. Uh, he's taking these coyotes out live. So we pull up to this coyote, and he realizes he does not have a catch pole. He left it in the truck. So I told him, I said, look, dude, I said, that's a bad idea. He says, no, I've done this before. <laughs> so he says, all right, I'm going to take this stick. And he's telling his brother has never been trapping before. So he's telling his brother 
oh, this coyote, it, it's not going to be that bad. You see how he's laying there, got his ears back. You know, he's, he's just going to lay there. As soon as he touches said coat with his stick, it latches a hold to his face before he moves it. Oh, no. So now there's blood pouring everywhere. And uh, we got to make a trip to the hospital because uh, it bit him pretty good. It bit through his cheek. He was uh, spitting blood out of three different holes. And I tried, I gave him a bottle of water and I was trying to get him to squirt through the side of his mouth, but he wouldn't do it. <laughs> but uh and that just had that was just past year so that's that's one little blooper there from a line mm -hmm. <laughs> josh how about you well i mean there's many of them cody but off the top of my head it was slightly funny and slightly embarrassing and i'm sure it happens to the best of us but i was uh you know i will say if uh <clears throat> When you're making sets and it's the end of the day and you're ready to get home, you sometimes mess up and might put your hand where it's not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, and I was, uh, this particular set was a gang set. So I more than one. I think I had two at that particular place. Uh, and um, just uh, was going to do a little brushing off. And, uh just ran my ran my hand across the uh, top of the trap, you know, while I was showing a coworker <laughs> how to set traps, and I think it I think it scared him more than it scared me because he did quite a bit of hollering while I was just looking at him, you know, to to get my hand out of the <laughs> trap. But you know, that 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 hasn't happened again. So you know, learn from your mistakes. But it did happen. So it's quite funny. I didn't live that one down, mm -hmm. you know. A lot of people remembered that one. I'll, ha I'll have to say you haven't uh, you haven't uh, um, set enough traps if you haven't uh, stuck your hand in one. So it will definitely it will definitely happen, you know. Mm -hmm. yep. But yeah, Excellent. I think that were we ready to adjourn, gentlemen? I, I think so. Um, uh -huh. Jesse, thanks for for organizing this and. And Clint and uh, Josh, thanks for coming on tonight. Jesse, you got any closing words? No, just to thank everybody for, for coming on, and I'm looking forward to the next one for sure. Uh, but no, just have a good night, stay safe, and we'll catch you next time. All righty, we'll do it. Had fun, guys. Thanks. Take care. Bye. 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 Thanks, guys. Well, folks, that's a wrap for today's episode. I'd like to thank Josh, Clint, and Cody for coming on today's episode and talking coyote control with us. Uh, one more thing, I want to bring up that package I was talking about in the intro. Uh, Cody wanted me to forward on to you. If you were to email him, just at Cody at Lumakers.com, C-O-D-Y at L-O-O-M-A-C-R-E-S.com. He's going to hook you up with a $50-$100 rebate on Spy Point trail cameras. These are really cool cameras. Uh, this is a really cool deal, so make sure you get a hold of him if you're ever looking to buy some trail cameras, either for your personal use or for airfield use. Um, but also, too, make sure you hit that like, share, subscribe button, depending on what platform you happen to be using, as well as leave a review. We are still doing the, the names out of the hats for, uh, yeah, for just reviews. So please leave, leave us a review. We're going to pull the name out of the hat. Uh, and whoever we draw is going to get hooked up with some really cool Airport Wild merch. So, uh... 
yeah, that's all I got for you guys today. I'd like to thank you for sticking around, uh, hanging out with the airport wild, and we'll catch you on down the line.